0: We are the sum total of the experiences we've had in life. The way we come at the world, our fears, our fascinations, the stories we tell, all of them reflect what we know and what makes us who we are. There are three defining moments that shape me into the kind of person I am today. I thought I'd tell you about them here. Here's the first one. I was a kid, maybe five or six years old. My dad purchased one of those reel-to-reel audio recorders at a garage sale. He brought it home, we all gathered around, and we listened to a box of used tapes that came with it. Most of them were blank, a few had music, but one of them stopped us dead in our tracks. It was the recording of an actual real life exorcism. You know, a priest commanding a demon to come out of somebody. Well, my dad stopped the tape after he realized what was going on, but it was too late. We heard the worst of it. It was the sound of a possessed woman talking in the voice of someone else. It was a moment I will never forget. Since that day, I've never had any trouble believing in a spiritual underworld. That there's something lurking on the other side. That we're not alone. Say what you will, call it a hoax, a case of clouded memories, but I know what I heard. Here's the next one. A few years later, I was playing outside my house in Pennsylvania when I found this tiny glass bottle in the dirt. I took it to the hose near the front porch of our house to wash off this treasure, but at that moment, A car pulled up alongside the curb, and a man got out. He started walking toward me, asking questions I couldn't answer. Questions you don't ask an eight-year-old boy. As he got closer and closer, I realized he wasn't stopping. A feeling of panic came over me. I stood up, dropped the hose, and ran behind the house where I knew my father was working in the garden. I called out to him for help, but when I turned around, the man was gone. Here's the third one. About five years ago, my mother-in-law was in the kitchen when she lost consciousness and fell to the ground. She went to the doctor to find out what was going on and discovered she had a brain tumor. He gave her six months to live. My family packed up everything and we moved in to live with her so that my wife Ainsley could take care of her. Things got worse and worse. She became weaker and weaker until she passed away. You know, I've never been close to anyone who's died before. This was the first time I witnessed death, and it changed me. The best way I can describe it is laboring. I watched my wife labor to bring five babies into the world. And in a similar way, I watched my mother-in-law labor to be delivered into the next one. You know, there are plenty of other defining moments in my life. But none of them impacted me in the same way that these three did. So it makes sense that when I sit down to write, I can't divorce these experiences from the stories I tell. As it turns out, my novel is about a young woman who was murdered in her house by a stranger, but continues to live there as a spirit in order to stop him. All of us write about what we know. All stories are autobiographical. This is true for other writers, too. John Grisham was a lawyer before he was a novelist, so he writes legal thrillers. Jennifer McMahon lives in Vermont, so her stories like The Winter People are based in New England. Ransom Riggs once found a collection of absurd photographs of people in an old house. Now he writes about Miss Peregrine's home, peculiar children. Most of us begrudge the tragic, embarrassing, and unfortunate experiences in our lives. Sure, there are plenty of things we all love about our childhoods. I grew up next door to a chocolate factory. But we need those difficult experiences to give us deep wells for creativity. No one reads stories about hobbits who never leave the shire. Harry Potter wouldn't have been popular without Voldemort. And no one really cares about a book called The Lion and the Wardrobe. Experiences can leave a mark, but it's the stories that come from those experiences that leave our mark on the world. She's not a memoirist. She's a novelist. And you write that we shouldn't want so much from novelists. What do you mean by that? There's a tendency to read books as a way to better understand the author. There's a kind of psychoanalytic bend to this. But an author is not an analysand, and we're not shrinks, and that's not the point of books. It's funny hearing you say all this. I feel guilty as charged as an interviewer. (laughs) I mean, I have an interview on this show today where I'm asking a writer, what in this book comes from your life, and what doesn't come from your life, and like, how can we sort of parse out the two? I should clarify that I don't think it's a crime to read biographically, or even a bad interpretive practice. But this has become the default way of reading. And so I think a little bit of resistance to that is healthy.